Hello and welcome to Bible 101. I'm here today with several uh, people from our church and I'd like for them to just take a second to introduce themselves. Brother Eric, go ahead. I'm Eric Feeney. Rob Dean. Greg Ross. And we're going to discuss the lesson that Brother Ross just taught, a tremendous lesson on oneness versus Trinity. And what I'd like to do is actually get into some of the issues that Trinitarians will bring up throughout the scripture to try to debate oneness and they claim that prove the Trinity. And uh, before we get into that, though, I'd like to talk about the importance of getting a revelation of one God. I believe it comes by divine uh, revelation. It's not something that you can just study out. Maybe you can, you know, partially see it. But I think when it comes by divine revelation, it's something that will never be argued out of you. Because if it can be taught into you, it can also be taught out of you. And, you know, just let somebody come along with a, a higher Bible school degree and, you know, that maybe that knows the Scripture a little bit better, can quote the entire Bible, and they could stump you and put you in a corner, and then you say, well, I'm not sure what I believe here. But uh, in this case, though, I, I believe it has to come by divine revelation. Yes, sir. And I want to prove that with the Scripture, Matthew 16 and verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, they probably reasoned this out because, for instance, uh, John the Baptist that may have come from Herod, because he believed after he beheaded John that Jesus was John, come back from the dead. And then they said Elias, it's probably because he was a miracle worker. And then Jeremiah is probably because he was an emotional prophet and talks about Jesus wept. But when it comes to uh, this portion of Scripture, notice what Jesus said. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. You didn't get this from your mama or your daddy. You didn't get this from just your study of, of the Scriptures yourself. You didn't get this just from your common knowledge. But he said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I believe that the oneness of God is something that has to be divinely revealed to you. And so I, before uh, I let them go around the table, I'd like to talk about when I first received this revelation. And then we're all going to kind of give our turn of, of, you know, when God spoke to us through the Scriptures and we got that revelation for ourselves. Because... Uh, you know, I believe that there needs to be a moment, a place, a time where you can look back and say, it opened to me on this day. You may not be able to give the exact date and the exact time, but you know, you remember a specific circumstance where God spoke to you. Now, I'll never forget, I was out witnessing. A man asked me a question about the Trinity that I really did not answer. I tried to answer, but it wasn't uh, to my satisfaction. And so I went back home and I did what I think everyone should do, uh, and that's not pinning roses on myself, but I believe if you have questions, go to God in prayer. Yes. And so I went to God in prayer, and I said, God, I know there's an answer to this question. God, show me a revelation of one God for myself. And the Lord spoke a scripture to me, and it was found in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And when I saw that, I understood that God is a spirit, John 4, 24. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I also kind of started putting the pieces together that God who is invisible, God who cannot bleed, God who cannot die, robed himself in flesh. 1 Timothy three sixteen. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's how he was revealed to us was through Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, Brother Eric, could you give maybe when you got the oneness revelation? Yes, sir. Um, our revelation came not just one from one particular verse, but uh, basically over a little bit of a study. 
um, as you was just raised in an apostolic church and heard a lot of the different arguments that people made about the Trinity and that kind of thing, um, we, you know, uh, having family members who would be Trinitarians would sometimes discuss things that as a kid was over my head. I couldn't explain. I knew what I believed, but couldn't explain it. And uh, we had had a Sunday school lesson when I was about 12 or 13 or so. And I uh, remember the Sunday school teachers talking about how that Lucifer had been cast out of heaven and uh, that the devil had been a fallen angel and, and you know, had that lesson that morning and come back to service that night and heard the man of God begin to preach. Um, Pastor David said in his preaching began to quote James 2.19, that thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And when he said those words, that the devils also believe and tremble, it, it hit me um, right then and there that the devil would obviously know that he was in heaven, he had been cast out. He's the only one that had an eyewitness um, experience. He knew that there was only one God in heaven. And when he when it said that, then I went home and began to study, and it was just like the same thing that Jesus had said in John chapter 20 when he um, was talking to Thomas, and he said, it's good to believe if you've seen, but blessed are those who believe that have not seen. And I began to use that as a way to study about, to get more um, engrossed in like the, the mighty God in Christ, who Jesus actually was, and uh, that it was that Jesus was the same person as God. But that is what really opened up my revelation was James two nineteen. Brother Rob, yeah, I came from a Trinitarian background, raised in a in a Baptist home and uh, denominal, and uh, obviously I I've been baptized at the age of twelve, and the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When I came to the Oneness Church. Uh, you know, repented of my sins, and God delivered me from drugs and alcohol. I didn't see the need why it made any difference what you believed as long as you were trying to serve God. In a sense, I didn't have the revelation of the need for revelation. I thought as long as I was living holy and trying to do what was right, the need to be rebaptized in Jesus' name as opposed to titles, Father and Son and Holy Ghost, uh, I believe baptism was just an answer, was just an answer to an honest heart that wanted to be, you know, cleansed, and that I had already fulfilled those things, and uh, you know I thought, well, you know, they believe one God, you know, I believe Trinity or I whatever it was that I did believe at the time, but nonetheless, I didn't feel the need, you know, to change anything and become part of what they were. As long as I was living holy, I'd be okay, and uh, but I began to read the Bible as you know as any young Christian should. And in John chapter 14, I read it a couple of times. And, and the third time through it, I read it, and I was just kind of like, I didn't really catch anything there. I wasn't paying attention or something. You know, and I need to start that chapter over because I've missed, I've, I haven't going to retain anything that I read here. But in verse number 9, Philip said to Jesus, he, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you? that you did not know me, for if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And again, that was the revelation. And then God was more than just a story. He was more than just a, a deity that we're going to serve. You serve yours, I serve mine. You serve Buddha, I serve Jesus, whatever. God revealed himself to me. And then it became a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And from there, as I read through the Bible, whether Old Testament, New Testament, I began to see the oneness of God lined out in scriptures, Colossians, uh, Jude, to the only wise God, our Savior. And it becomes so apparent to you once you have the revelation. Uh, so I believe God turned the light on for me in uh, John chapter 14, verse number 9, as far as many other verses. 
right. to follow. So. Praise God. Brother Ross? <clears throat> I would like to take on uh, a couple of scriptures came to mind when Brother Mills was speaking in the beginning about the importance of knowing Jesus uh, in many... The, What's already been discussed here is it's a revelation. It's something that's revealed to you. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 11 says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, <clears throat> neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus yeah. Christ. It is important. The Apostle Paul had a revelation of Jesus Christ. Also in Romans chapter 1, and uh, verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, seen being understood uh, by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so, they are, uh, so that they are without excuse. Um, I came into church in 1979 in, in April, and uh, uh, God delivered me and set me free, much in the same way as Brother Dean. And... Um, I began to really be consumed with studying the Word of God. I would I would come home from work. I would go in my room. Uh, we didn't have uh, uh, computers to look up things back then. I, I bought study Bibles. I, I picked up tracts at churches. I just wanted to know uh, about the Word of God. And so very quickly I began to see uh, these things about the oneness and the Trinity. So I, I read it and uh, saw, I, you know, I could read the Scriptures and talk about it. But uh, a few months later, I was at a uh, I was at a, a rally service where a man of God was preaching. His name was Brother Charles Mahaney, and uh, the and he was preaching one God, and 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 it is like a light coming on. It is a, it is a revelation, and he began to preach. And this is maybe not the the. Uh, the scripture that most people get the revelation from, but he began to preach on Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. And when he began to preach that Jesus was the Father, Jesus was the Son, and Jesus was the Holy Ghost, and not only was he that, he was so much more, it, again, it was just a light, light that came on. And like Brother Dean said, once you see that, so much of the more the Word of God just begins to open up to you in a way you never realized before. And even to this day, 41 years later, I can still read the Scripture today, and, and I'll read a Scripture and say, oh, wow, that's a one God Scripture. Oh, wow, that's a one God Scripture. Yes. It's just yes. over and over and over again. God just confirms His Word. I agree completely. One of the things that popped in my head while <clears throat> Brother Dean was talking is a lot of people do ask that question, why does it matter? Why... Uh, does it matter? They'll, for instance, they'll explain it almost in a oneness perspective when they talk about the Trinity. They'll it's say, true. well, uh, there's three manifestations of one God, which we would agree with those mm -hmm. those terms. True. Uh, and so a lot of people may actually think that they believe in the Trinity, but their understanding is a oneness understanding. And so they'll say, well, why does it make any difference? Why does it make any difference? You have your view of God. I have my view of God. Why does it make any difference? Well, Here's the question I'd like to ask. How many will you see in heaven? How many are we serving? One. How many do you have to pray to? One. Right. So they are important questions. Yes, they are. Yes, yes sir. Right. Uh, and so let's go ahead and jump into the Word of God itself and get into some of the scriptures that Trinitarians will bring up frequently when discussing uh, oneness versus Trinity. And one of the ones they point to, probably the first one that they'd like to point to, is Genesis 1.26. Brother Eric, you want to tackle that one? Yes, sir. Um, uh, this is, to be honest, when I was a teenager, this is the one I always tried to run away from. I tried to shy away from um, when someone would bring up, you know, in, the, in any kind of debate or conversation. 
um, because you know it clearly does use a um, pluralistic uh, word here when talking about God. And let's go ahead and just read it here, and we'll also read verse 27. But Genesis uh, 1:26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and all, and all the earth, and over the creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And then verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so here it almost looks as though there is a contradiction. He said, we're going to make man in our image, but then God now saying he made man in his own image, and that being a singular term there. And so um, beginning to, you know, as we got older and began to teach and things, I figured I really got to learn how to tackle this, what, you know, how to explain this all out. And um, I know a lot of times when we're referring to um, doctrinal issues about salvation and things like that, we'll always talk about we have to take into context who the scripture was being written to, who it was being written by, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, who wrote it. And I think without argument, anybody can tell you that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about the life of Moses, you'll know he grew up in a royalty, in a house of royalty uh, with uh, King Pharaoh of Egypt. And a lot of times it was, especially back in these days, that uh, kings and people of power would refer to themselves in a pluralistic term in order to... Um, to express how powerful they really was. Um, they're said, it's said that in Egypt to this day that the queen there still uh, calls herself uh, your majesties or your excellencies because in the plural term she, she refers to it because she is expressing how much power she has um, and how much uh, dominion that they have over the people. And so I believe that when um, Moses was writing this, that he was had been taught that in the house of Pharaoh, that he was able to... Uh, use this as God would be saying in a pluralistic term that he was so powerful that only he could make man, that only he would be able to put life and breathe it into man's nostrils and make it into his image. And another thing, too, I've also heard um, different analogies about um, that God was talking about everything that he was, that he was going to make it, that his image was, as Brother Mills said, the invisible image of God, and uh, that everything that he was was going to be involved into that image. And uh, one way to, to kind of break that down, and I was going to read this real quick, um, is in uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, let me see here where it's at. I, had it, I wrote it down. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse um, 4 through 6. And it says, um, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So here God is talking about how he has different dimensions, but it's all still the same God. And so when he began to say, let us make man in our image, it was a it was a pluralistic majesty, he would say, is that he was talking about how powerful he was, that he was so powerful that he could do multiple things with his power speaking at one time. That's good. Anybody else want to add something to that? A, cu- a couple things, uh, Real quick, um, I, th- I think when you have an understanding of the oneness of God, Scripture after Scripture, it says one God, one God, one God. And then we come across a verse of Scripture like Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and it says, let us make man in our image. That doesn't immediately just cancel out all the one God Scriptures that, yeah, we, yeah, that we know and are aware of. Right, exactly. and, and again, as Brother Eric pointed out, the following verse does uh, mention the singular pronouns. Now, um, I've I read... Uh, there are several uh, well-known Trinitarian commentators now 
that do not try to use Genesis 1 and 26 as a Trinitarian uh, scripture anymore because they realize that that is a plural of his majesty that is being spoken of there. The the plurality of his heavenly host that was there, let us make man in our image. And it follows up after the fall in the Garden of Eden in in, um, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us, the plural majesty, the heavenly hosts, to know both good and evil. And one more verse of Scripture in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 10 says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Not three gods, not two gods. One God has created us. Yes, I think that's a good point. Uh, Just maybe a couple other things I'd like to add. Brother Rob, feel free to add anything if you you want to. But uh, I'm just going to pitch a couple things in here, and I've talked about this on, on our apostolic apologetics, but uh, just a few things to consider. You don't have to uh, immediately say, because there's a plural, there's multiple people in view here. Uh, the plural can be explained in a multitude of ways. Brother Ross explained it as it being the multitude of the heavenly host. Brother Eric has explained it as being a majestic plural, kind of like the Queen of England will say, we greet you, when it's really only one person. And uh, that's just a plural of majesty. But also something else that you could think about is, let's say you're sitting down to work on a task and you say, let's see what we can do here. You're saying, let us see what we can do here. They call it the plural of deliberation. And so I kind of like this explanation because it's like when God creates everything else, he just says, let there be, let there be, let there be. But when it comes to man, he deliberates. Let us see what we're going to do here. And uh, also you can... uh, talk about uh, this may be spoken in prophecy, but that's kind of a deep subject. I don't want to get too in-depth there. Brother Rob, you got anything to... Could he have been saying to uh, the angels, to the devil, to all of eternity, to the atoms, the molecules? Mm -hmm. uh, God's deeper than a a two-letter word, us. Uh, God is multifaceted like a diamond. Uh, So I've always believed that, that it was, you know, him, him speaking of himself... Uh, with with the you know the words that are in the original context, but there again, could he have not as said, God when God speaks, uh, our understanding is is finite. His is infinite. Let us do this. We're going to set out to do this, like you said, the Queen of England. We greet you. Uh, God's beginning something here for the first time ever. Begin to create creation and make man, and uh, going to have a relationship with him. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, and also, Brother Ross, I think you had brought up a scripture you'd like to talk about, and I didn't write it down here. Uh, I apologize for popping this up on, on all of us. But uh, Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Some Trinitarians will try to bring up Elohim being a plural. Right. Um, and so they'll basically say that, well, see there, that proves the Trinity because Elohim is a plural term. And so they say, when you speak of God, you speak of Elohim. But Elohim was common in those days mm-hmm. of being used. Yes. It was not just used of Jehovah. It right. was used of other gods as well. True. Baal being one of them. Uh, and they used Elohim of Baal. And obviously, Baal was a singular. They didn't worship him as a trinity or, or anything along that those right. lines. So, uh, But Elohim could be used because, I mean, how do you describe God? God's impossible exactly. to describe. He's multifaceted. Yes. And so you're, you're never going to be able to describe God. So Elohim, and, and going back to your point about Trinitarians don't really use Genesis 126 anymore, this is another argument they've stopped using. That's true. Because they realize, where do you stop? 
If you're going to say Elohim means multiple, then you're embracing polytheism. Right, more and than so, just three. Yeah, exactly. And so they recognize the fact that there's some religions that actually look at the Bible and say, hey, look, Elohim, that means uh, this is a plurality of gods. And so it, it explains polytheism. In fact, I was just reading a Trinitarian commentary the other day that made that same statement. They said, this does not mean multiple gods. This is one God. <laughs> right, just exactly. because it's plural doesn't mean it's multiple gods. So just for the common person out there, these are two of the top arguments I hear Trinitarians use, but they're no longer, they're used, no longer used by uh, by men that are learned that are actually studying these matters. True. So, uh, anybody want to add anything? Well, there's also too that in there, uh, there's there's scripture that puts um, Yahweh with Elohim. Yahweh Elohim, yes. Yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes. Therefore, you would take away the the Elohim being the plural. Yes. When you see Lord God, for instance, yeah, a lot like of times, Genesis, sometimes uh, it'll be sorry, Deuteronomy six and four. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's discuss the next one. Another one I've heard Trinitarians try to use is Daniel three twenty five. Brother Rob, could you read that scripture and then explain it for us? In the book of Daniel, chapter three, verse twenty five, he answered and said, which is Nebuchadnezzar referring to him, who had through the uh, quote unquote three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, he answered and said lo I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God and of course uh, as you mentioned Trinitarians seem to uh, get hung up on the fact that there's the son of God in that verse and, uh, yeah, I, I believe he was the Son of God that they saw. I believe it was the works of God. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It refers to him as the Son of God. Uh, once you have a revelation of one God, then you have to be able to uh, figure that out and, you know, divide it and see what you come up with. Explain this to me. How, how is he the Son of God and still be God? Well, then we have a dichotomy here. Is he a child that was fathered by God? Obviously he was. He was born of the Virgin. Uh, the Holy Ghost, if there is a third, the, the Holy Ghost was, was overshadowed of Mary. So in a sense, the Holy Ghost, if he's a separate deity, then God's not even his father. You know, but we know that God is his father. And the same thing here, the Son of God is the flesh of God. And it is his works. Uh, John chapter 1 says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. There's your us, okay? Two, two facets of, G, of God himself, uh, Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning. Uh, we, all things were made by him, verse 14 of John chapter 1. All, he was in the beginning. All things were made by him. There was not anything made that was not made by him. So Jesus Christ, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh was Jesus in the beginning in Genesis 1-1? Absolutely. He was in the fiery furnace. Uh, it was God's image, and that's what he saw. And so when they threw them into the fiery furnace, he saw God. He didn't see uh, his, his blue eyes or his brown eyes or his tan skin, but he saw an image. And what he saw was how God was delivering those men. And uh, so I, I don't think Trinitarians have much to stand on with nope. wondering about the Son of God. It's the works of God, the, the well, and also too, when you when you look at it, you're also leaving the interpretation up to Nebuchadnezzar, who said it was like, like, the son like, of God. yes, like absolutely. So he didn't say it was the son of God, and, and it well, was, yes. to him that was how it would appear. That's a good and, point. And, 
And then also, too, one other thing, too, not to take up too much time here, but I thought about in Isaiah 43, and it just came to mind here. But um, God actually takes credit for it. If you actually look at it in verse 2, it says, When thou passest through the waters, you think of the Red Sea, mm -hmm. and I will be with thee through the rivers. Uh, we know that they walk through the Jordan River. And it says, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame <laughs> yes. kindle upon thee. That's good. And so when you, when you look at that, God actually takes credit for being... The, the God that walks with you through the fire. It's a manifestation of God. Yeah, that's what right. Yeah, that's <laughs> the way to explain it. They call it theophany, would yes, be the technical definitely. term. Uh, basically meaning a temporary manifestation of God. And just to kind of point this out, you see this several times in Scripture. One of the ones is when Abraham uh, inquires before God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah what appeared to him. He called it God. But uh, in John uh, 1.18, it says, No man has seen God at any time, not in his fullness. Because when Moses requested to see God, God responded to him and said, No man can see me and live. Mm -hmm. So we know he didn't see the fullness of God. We know Nebuchadnezzar didn't see the fullness of God. But there was some type of a manifestation of right. God. And uh, kind of going back to something Brother Rob Dean uh, mentioned in John 1.1, 1 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, what a lot of Trinitarians, we didn't write that verse down, but it's interesting to discuss, I think. Uh, they want to read that as Father and Son. Mm -hmm. So let's read it that way. In the beginning was, uh, was the Son. Son. The Son was with the Father, and the Son was the Father. Mm -hmm. You can't read it that way. All things were made uh, by and the get Son. Two. Yeah, exactly. All things were made by him. All things were made by the Son. Yes. Jesus Christ. Uh, but the point I'd like to make is it uses the term word for a reason because there was a philosophy going around that was being discussed there. The logos, that's where word comes from, the Greek word logos, which can mean, it means a lot of things. It's kind of like the English word, word. It can mean a lot of different things. And so it can mean written word, it can mean spoken word, it can mean thought, it can mean concept, it can mean idea, it can mean blueprint. There's a multitude of things that it means. Uh, for instance, let me just give you one of those. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul, the spirit of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and incense of the heart. The word, word there is logos. So uh, there clearly, I think nobody would argue the fact that it's talking about the word, the of, word God of God itself uh, and so if I could just use this, there's a reason why John used the term word there, logos. And the reason why is because this concept going around was saying that uh, logos was, a, uh, was different from God, was greater than God. There was all kinds of weird ideas going around. And uh, some would come along after that, like Justin is uh, one of the ones I'm thinking of. And uh, the philosopher, they call, you know, some people mistakenly call him a church father, but he was just a philosopher. But he would separate the two. But John comes along, and, and notice how he writes that. He says, in the beginning was the Logos. Okay, you got that right. The Logos was in the beginning, because they believe that. And then he says, the Logos was with God. You got that right. But he says, the Logos was God. Mm -hmm. So you got two things right, but you got the third fact wrong. It is God himself. <laughs> That's how he created the world. Right. And if I could use the term logos can also mean plan, concept, thought, idea. So when God was in the beginning, he had a plan. That's how I could say Christ slain from the foundation of the world. You know, uh, that's how it could, it could talk about Jesus Christ creating all things. He made all things by him. Everything was done with this plan in mind. Does that make sense? And so, uh, Brother Ross, did you have something you wanted to add to that? <clears throat> well, yeah, in John, same chapter, a few verses later, John uh, verse 14 said, The word, Lagos, became 
flesh. We're back yes. to the manifestation right. again. Yes. I would also like to be a good time to point out when we're talking about Daniel 3 and 25 where it says the Son of God. By the way, there there is there is nowhere in the Bible where it ever says God the Son. That term is not in the Bible. It's the Son of God. Son of God. It's the flesh. It's the uh, manifestation yes. of God. It's never right. God the Son, which a lot of Trinitarians like to use that phrase. Absolutely. And then another thing to point out too um, is that other translations actually translate that son of the gods. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to because he was a pagan and he believed in a multiplicity of gods. So he looks in the fire and he sees something like the son of the gods. Yeah, and that's interpreted just the, as one of the gods. Yeah. Or, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, Brother Ross, you want to talk about Matthew 28, 19. All right. Let's take a look at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Um, talking about uh, oneness and Trinity, uh, Trinitarians uh, like to go to this this particular verse. <clears throat> I would like to before we uh, read verse nineteen, let's back up to verse eighteen, Matthew chapter twenty eight and verse eighteen. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying the words of Jesus: All power is given unto me in heaven. All power, all not one-third, right. not a half, all not not a portion. All power in heaven and earth is given uh, given unto me in heaven and in earth. If Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was given all power, guess what? The other two don't have any power. And he goes on to say in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you uh, always, even unto the end of the world. Well, Trinitarian would say, there you go, there's three right there. Yeah, once again, it's three titles, it's three uh, roles that uh, the one true living God has used. And, and so when he was... When he was uh, uh, teaching this, the, I would like for you to turn to uh, Luke, and let me let me find it here. I should have had it, had it written down. Uh, Luke chapter twenty-four. Um, this is a corresponding scripture with the same verse of scripture that we read in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and uh, he said in verse forty-six. Jesus says, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his, whose name? His, his name. name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the corresponding scripture of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Luke just wrote it down a little bit different because... They knew what that name was in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He 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 wrote it down a little different, but he he said to baptize them. Uh, he still uses the singular name. He does not say names as in plural. He says name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then uh, Luke said uh, that remission of sin should be preached in His name, in Jesus' name. So how do we understand this scripture? Beginning at Jerusalem. And what happens in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is poured out. Uh, people gathered around to see what was going on. And, uh, and uh, they said, what in the world is going on here? These men act like they're drunk. They just got the Holy Ghost. And uh, 
Peter stood up with 11 and began to, to preach the message of the day of Pentecost. And when he gets through with his message, the, uh, those that were gathered there said, well, men and brethren, what shall we do? And uh, <clears throat> verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, no, he said in the name of Jesus Christ, because Peter was standing there that day when Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He, he was like Luke. He knew what that name was, and that name is and still is Jesus Christ. Praise God. There's not, there's not three gods in Matthew 28, 19. And Jesus has all the power, so, you know, <laughs> if there's three, the other two don't have any power left. Much more could be said about that, but I hope that will suffice for this discussion. Well, if I could just add something that I usually don't hear added to this, um, and this just kind of popped into my head, but... Trinitarians explain what they believe as one God in three persons. And I've heard many of them stumble back from the word separate because they understand what that means. If you use the term separate, you're saying three gods. Absolutely. Not. That's tritheism, not Trinitarianism. That's right. And uh, so one point I'd like to make here, though, if you're saying that there's three names represented in this passage, how is that three in one? Exactly. Because you've got three names. You've got three personalities. You've got three names. You've got three separate gods here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a reason why he used the term the singular name. It's because, obviously, what Brother Ross just mentioned here, it's the name of Jesus. But I, I just wanted to pitch that out there because I've heard some people try to argue, you know, talking about it's one God and three persons. Well, uh, how can you say it's not separate and distinct persons if you're saying there's three names there? Anybody else got anything? I'd like to point out also that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not names at all. Right. Uh, they are titles that right. are descriptive of God. Right. Uh, he is the Father. He was the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, uh, and the Holy Ghost in regeneration. Mm -hmm. uh, I also point out that nobody was ever baptized any other way other than the name of Jesus Christ. First of all, in the Bible, mm -hmm. anytime it is recorded where anybody was baptized, Secondly, it, that, that baptism form continued on until 320 uh, A.D., where the Council of Nicaea, which is basically the Catholic Church, changed the form of baptism right. from using the name of Jesus Christ to the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, saying that it didn't matter, and that could be proven in the Encyclopedia Britannica. The only thing I would add, too, I've also heard people say, well, I would rather listen to the words of Jesus than listen to the words of Peter. <laughs> but then you go right back to where... Uh, you talked about at the very beginning, Brother Mills, about the foundation that it was built upon was on one revelation. And he said after that, he said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth mm -hmm. shall be loosed in heaven. Right. So basically, Peter, whatever you're going to open up, whatever door you're going to open up, I'm going to back it in heaven. And so Peter preached on the day of Pentecost to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Good point. All right. I'm going to actually tackle this next question. John 3.16. Probably uh, the favorite scripture of many people out there. And I love this scripture. Let me just start by saying that apostolics do not run from the scripture. This is a powerful scripture. Mm -hmm. It's yes. incredible. Yes. It's, it's breathtaking to think that God would so love the world. And this is what it says, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And I love how it says mm. so loved, not just loved, but he so loved the world that he gave. His love moved him to action. That he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so what they would point out is, how can you have only one here? Uh, because you've got one uh, giving another, you've got one sending another. Well, let me tackle first the term send, uh, that he sent him into the world. Sending only means commissioning. And to make you uh, think about that, Jesus sent his disciples. It was a commission. He sent them to preach. So uh, that just means commissioning. Now, how do you deal with the fact you've got one sending another? It's as simple as this. When you hear the term father, you think of spirit. When you hear the term son, you think of flesh. How was Jesus called the son? By the womb of Mary. He was born in the womb of Mary. He had flesh just like you and I have flesh. He hungered. He thirsted. Uh, he bled in flesh. He was tired in flesh. Uh, on the cross, he said, I thirst. All of that was the flesh side of him. He's a, there's a dual nature to Jesus Christ. And then on the flip side of it, through the power of God, because he was God, in addition to being a man, uh, he could perform miracles. He could raise the dead. He could heal the sick. He could calm the storm. Uh, he did incredible things as God. But you must also realize he was fully God and fully man. How is that possible? Because uh, the Spirit moved upon Mary, and she conceived in her womb, human, by the seed of the Spirit, God. So uh, when Jesus walks the earth... That's how he could say what Brother Rob brought up earlier. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the visible manifestation of the Father. And so when it talks about one sending another, what it basically means is that this was the commission of the Father from the beginning. God had a plan. I mentioned that earlier, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. That was the plan. God had this plan in the very beginning. Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. And so all of history hinged upon this one event, this one moment. And uh, God was not taken by surprise with the fall in the garden. He wasn't taken by surprise when Cain killed his brother Abel. He wasn't taken by surprise when uh, he had to send the flood to destroy mankind. God had a plan. And you see it over and over and over in prophecy. So God so loved the world that this was his plan. He overshadowed a virgin by the name of Mary. And she conceived and bare a son. And he sent that, that son to the cross. Jesus was moved. You think about it. God cannot die. Right? God cannot bleed. God cannot die. But Jesus on the cross, uh, he gave his life. That's only the flesh that could die, not the spirit. Uh, and then notice this, because the spirit had to leave that body in order for Jesus to die. Right? Mm -hmm. It had to leave. But watch this. The Bible says, let's read it. Romans chapter number, uh, I believe it's chapter number 8. And I'm doing this on the fly here. I didn't have the scripture written down. Um, I believe it is Romans, yes, 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 Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. So in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, Paul is kind of breaking down how Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And I want to read this. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 11. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Notice what it says. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit uh, that dwelleth in you. What spirit do you have? You have the spirit of God. And the Bible talks about the fact that he was raised up by the Father. Uh, what that means is the spirit came back into that flesh and gave him power to resurrect. 
the flesh in and of itself. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. But he did say, the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. I speak nothing of myself. The Father gives me the words to speak. That I speak. Um, and so that's why Jesus could say, in fact, at one point, um, you know, that uh, if, if you accept the Son, you have both the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. That's how he could say it, because you're talking about, basically, when you're talking Father and Son, you're only talking about roles, you're talking about mm -hmm. manifestations, <clears throat> not separate persons. Right. And again, if I could return to this, and I mentioned it in the beginning, that let's just use the illustration, if it's uh, uh, one sending another, how is that love? How could he say he loved his son and yet send his son in his stead when he refused to die himself? No, God cannot bleed. God cannot die. And so what it means is he manifested himself in flesh in that supernatural way. Uh, Galatians 4 and 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. woman. Yes. Anybody else got anything to add to that? Uh, just where you kind of touched on what I was getting ready to say there about um, how he... What kind of love would be a man that a father would send his son to die? It'd be like me saying, I love Brother Dean so much that I'm going to send my son mm -hmm. to die for him rather than me saying, okay, I'm, and uh, that's brought about actually in um, John chapter 15 where uh, Jesus, Jesus actually says, greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life mm -hmm. for a friend. So, um, you know, then, then he goes on to say, you are my friend. So he let him know what he was talking about. He said, you know, greater love at the man that I was willing to die for. I'm willing to die for my friends, for the people. And so, therefore, he's taken, you know, letting us know that it was God that was actually dying. First John 3.16. There you go. Hereby perceive we the love of God, that he laid down his life for us. Yeah. He, God, laid down his life for us. That's, That's just a follow-up of John yeah. 3.16. Yes. That's exactly right. Acts 20 and 28 could also be tacked yes, on to sir. that uh, yeah. as well. Uh, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you uh, overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. God obviously being the subject there. You know, also, the, the third chapter of the book of John, For God so loved the world, he's... It, to dissect that chapter, he's talking to Nicodemus right. about how to be born again. Right. Yes. And obviously that's what we're trying to do here is to help people figure out who God is. And once they figure that out, then they'll know how, how to be born again. Uh, but as he's talking to him, in verse 13, he mentions the Son of Man. He said, I'm talking to you of earthly things, uh, and you can't receive them. If I talked to you of heavenly things, you wouldn't be able to receive them also. He says, who has ascended up into heaven? Nobody except for he that descended down from heaven first, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven, currently, presently right, in there. So he was God. Yeah, he was still on the throne of heaven, but he was still on walking on the shores of Galilee. Right. Uh, it was just another manifestation. He's still God over the entire universe, right. filling every molecule in the universe. But mm -hmm. here he was talking to man, and that's the whole picture of it. Was, yeah, God loved man so much that he left his throne in heaven, mm. descended to earth, wrapped himself in flesh so that he would have a way to die and be a propitiation for our sins. That's how much God loved us, that he himself died. God, who couldn't die, found a way to found die to, by right. presenting himself a sacrifice. Right, and an important point to be made is uh, just because he indwelt the man Christ Jesus didn't mean he was also still in heaven because God uh, cannot be confined to just one space. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, If I ascend into heaven, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I take the wings of the morning, he's there. 
Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, that's all good. I'm just taking it all in. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I do think a key word there in John chapter 3, uh, verse 16, is the word begotten, yes. uh, which means there was a beginning yes. for that flesh. Why? That's why some translations will change that to one and only son. They don't like that word begotten, begotten because to be begotten implies a beginning. Procreation, yeah. Uh, but I want to I want to tackle something here. Origin, the church father, tried to claim, and Brother Ross, you're going to know what I'm talking about. He tried to claim that the son was eternally begotten. First of all, mm -hmm. that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't explain that, and that's why they've kind of gotten away from that concept of eternally begotten. Because you cannot get around Galatians 4 and 4. When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. And the fact that he was made of a woman implies a beginning, obviously. And so they're gonna, that's what they're going to point to and argue. And he, so he says, eternally begotten from the universe. But nobody understands that concept. That doesn't even make sense. All right, let's uh, go ahead and tackle the next one here. Let's go to 1 John 5, 7. Brother Ross, you want to tackle that one? Okay, First John <clears throat> 5, 7. And uh, all of these verses we've talked about so far are verses that uh, a lot of times Trinitarians like to throw up to people to, to support their propped-up God of the, the Trinitarian doctrine. And then uh, 1 John 5 and 7 is another one of those verses of Scripture. And as we can see so far, that all these scriptures that they try to use, they can't use them anymore because they really, really don't hold up under the truth of the oneness of the Word of God. John chapter 5, verse 7 says, For there are three, uh-oh, that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Um, the first thing I would mention in that, when it says there are three that bear record, um, the the word the the term bear record means to testify, and uh, so these three are giving a testimony. What are they giving a testimony of? Uh, what he talked about previously, verse six, uh, that this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness before the Spirit, because the Spirit is truth. And then he says there are three that give a testimony of the of what we just talked about here. And these three are one. The, these three are one what? One God? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that th this word one mean, is referring to God. It's just the testimony that was giving was given uh, is a testimony for Jesus Christ. There are three that bear witness, testify on earth. He's talking about a testimony in heaven, and he talks about the testimony in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Does it, it, and again, the three agree in one God, or uh, three, three people is one God. Absolutely, it's not what it's saying at all. Uh, that there's a testimony uh, that, uh, that the Father, the Word, which we've discussed uh, at, at extent here, and the Holy Ghost, the, these three are, the, all three of these testimonies agree that Jesus Christ is one. It's three records of one God. Yeah, I could say too that, yeah, um, most people sitting here, anybody listening, would have. Um, Three um, records in, to their account. Um, hopefully, not a police record, but you might have. <laughs> but you know, you think about you, you think about being a son. You got a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. um, as being a student, you get a diploma. 
And then, it, you know, now that I'm a husband, I have a marriage certificate. Mm-hmm. So I got three different records. Three forms that, of three ID. Three forms of ID to identify who I am as one exactly. person. Just to kind of give a basic breakdown of this, refer to our Apostolic Apologetic series on 1 John 5, 7, where I tackle this in detail. Right. But uh, I'm going to give a basic explanation just in case maybe somebody's listening to this that hasn't listened to that lesson. Basically, it's talking about three records in heaven and three records on earth. Because the next verse goes on to say, and there are three that bear witness in earth. That's the same Greek term. So bear record, bear witness. It's the same term. So it says uh, there are three that bear uh, uh, witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. Now, nobody would try to argue that these are three persons. (laughs) The spirit, the water, and the blood. So you talk about the spirit, the Holy Ghost. It bears record. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Uh, And then also it says here, uh, so the spirit, the water, obviously water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that bears record. And then the blood, the blood of Jesus. If you have repented of your sins and you've been baptized in Jesus' name and you've received the Holy Ghost, those are three records that speak on your behalf. They tell you you're a child of God. That's your self-assurance. Because I have repented, because I've been baptized, because I've received the Holy Ghost, that's my assurance. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. But then if you back up to the previous verse, this is your assurance in heaven. The Father, the the foreknowledge of God the Father, you can read that in uh, 1 Peter Uh, I believe it's chapter 1 and verse number 2 where it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So think about that, what he just described there, the foreknowledge of God the Father. God doesn't mean you're predestined, but it does mean that God knows the decisions you're going to make by his foreknowledge. He knows you're elect because he knows what decisions you're going to make. So his foreknowledge testifies on your behalf. And then you've got the Word. We've already talked about what the Word is. That's that plan. Uh, That testifies on your behalf. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. So he's always making intercession on our behalf. So his blood is a constant uh, testimony. And and in fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 12, and it's somewhere around verse 7, I think, where it says uh, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and with the word of their testimony. And then finally, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, obviously, uh, when you receive the Holy Ghost, that's a testimony for you in heaven. So there's three that bear record in heaven. It's three records of one God. There's three that bear record in earth, three records of one God. All right, hopefully I've tackled that uh, well enough here. All right, um, I'd like to tackle this next one. We're going to talk about father and son language, and there's all kinds of scriptures just to kind of give you some references here. Let's go to the book of Romans, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about this. Now, there's a lot of different scriptures we could mention, but uh, Trinitarians will oftentimes point to scriptures like this. Um, for instance, let's just read uh, Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse number 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. Oh, see, you've already got two. You've got, you know, Jesus Christ, and then you've got the gospel of God which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. All right, flip over. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to give you several examples here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the epistles that Paul writes start with this kind of language. Right. Um, it, it was just kind of his, his form of greeting, obviously moved by the Holy Ghost to write this way. First uh, Corinthians chapter number uh, one and verse three says, "Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ." Well, let me at least say we've already read two of these references. Where's the Holy Spirit? 
right? So that's that's an important point. So also, let's go to. I also uh, like to point out there, brother, that that word "from" is italicized there. Yes, that's that, that right. means it was added for, for translation for translation purposes. If you if you don't put that in there, it says "and the Lord Jesus Christ." Right, <laughs> uh, being one description. Right. Yes. Name. So Second Corinthians uh, chapter one and verse three. Uh, let's start with verse 2, excuse me. Be, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And there's many others like this. Right. So Trinitarians would point to all this. Well, how do you explain if they're one, why do they always have to separate the two? Why do you have God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me uh, back up to our explanation of 1 John 5, 7 for a minute and talk about uh, the roles the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, not three persons, three manifestations, three roles, and all three play a role in your salvation. Uh, think about the Father through his, obviously, his foreknowledge. God had a plan in the beginning. Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ plays a part, obviously. Without his blood, we have no remission of sins. Uh, all of history, I believe, uh, hinged upon the sacrifice of Jesus. How did they get forgiveness for their sins, or at least temporary forgiveness for their sins in the tabernacle in the wilderness? I believe that when Jesus died, it covered all of that Old Testament period because yes. nobody's going to be able to stand before God in judgment and stand righteous without the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. His blood covers you. And then you have the Holy Ghost. Obviously, the Holy Ghost plays a role in that. Uh, the Holy Ghost makes you holy. The Holy Ghost is what we're going to be resurrected by. The Bible talks about that. So it plays, on, and it also bears witness with your spirit. It serves a lot of different roles and purposes. But this doesn't mean that there's three persons. Now, when it talks about uh, greetings from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ... I want you to think for a minute about uh, the perspective that Paul came from. This is a uh, one God man. He's always been one God. Uh, and so uh, monotheistic is what we'd like to call it. And this is a man that is monotheistic to his core. He's been trained, hero Israel. You mentioned it in your lesson, Brother Ross, the Shema. Uh, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so he's been trained like this all this time. But what? why does he separate the two? Because Jesus Christ comes along and fulfills the role of the intercessor. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. To mediate means to make peace between two parties. So you, if you've got a mediator, for instance, let's just say that uh, me and uh, Brother Rob have a disagreement. Brother Eric, you're going to play the role of mediator. You're going to go between the two parties and try to get us to make peace. That was the role of Jesus Christ. He made peace between those two parties. Exactly. And so there's a reason why Paul said it this way. Greetings from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the God you've always known, and also his redemptive plan. Don't forget about his redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. And then uh, something else to mention here, it's, I, I believe it's an important point, uh, from God our Father, and the word and is the Greek word kai, can also be translated even. even. So let's just use it this way, greetings from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So that doesn't obviously mean that you've got two separate persons, but it is speaking of two separate roles. Anybody else want to add to that? Are we good? Well, without controversy. Yes. Great is the mystery of godliness. Yes. Another one of those powerful 316s, Timothy 316. Yeah. Yes, 1 Timothy 316. He was preached on in the world, believed on, preached, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the heaven, seen of angels, justified of men. Uh, obviously, there is more than one role, but uh, yes. sure. it's, it's just more descriptive uh, language that points to one God. 
taken into context, he's talking to the Corinthians, which you mentioned there, or, or the Colossians, I'm sorry. I'm also but, going to John 14 and 9 where he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, I've heard that described before as lemon water. The, you know, the water's in the lemon, the lemon's in the water. You these these are first century Jews. They had no concept of a trinity. No, they didn't. They, they, were, they served Jehovah God yeah. only. And there was no, there was no son. Well, that, there was no Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously yeah. this was poured out. And so, to those people he's preaching to, had had are new converts, new churches within the first few years of their existence. Uh, they don't have to have this explained to them who he's referring to when he says, "Right, the Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, and or even or whatever." They have one concept of God, and that is yes. that there's only one God. And they still believe that to this day. Yes, they they, they do. don't even accept the, the sonship of Jesus. I mean, so, right. you know, again, today they still believe that there's only one God. So. Yes. Yep. That's the Apostle Paul, um, like you said, believed that in, as, in as a Jew. In the context of what he said. And then to when he was traveling that road to Damascus, and the light came from heaven, and he hit the ground, mm -hmm. and his voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? By the way, this story is three times in the book of Acts. Yes. Verse five in this particular uh, instance, uh, when and the the apostle Paul knew that it was God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, the only God that he knew. When he said, "Who art thou, Lord?" he was calling on Jehovah, and the Bible says, "And the Lord Jehovah said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest." So. I think it's important to, when you're translating uh, New Testament passages or attempting to understand it, you've got to interpret it in light also of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So many people want to take the Old Testament and just chunk it out. But if you read the Old Testament as a whole, without any of these preconceived notions of a trinity, right, right. you have to come away and say there's only one God. Mm -hmm. So you need to approach the New Testament in the same way. Uh, forget all of these, these uh, and like you mentioned, the doctrine of the Trinity was a development. It absolutely was. In fact, I even heard a prominent Trinitarian theologian, uh, still prominent to this day, he debates oneness people a lot. He debates Muslims. He debates a lot of different types of people about the Trinity. And the statement he made was, uh, Paul and the apostles did not have a revelation of the Trinity. I believe that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I believe that, and I agree with him. Uh, but he's he's saying basically that uh, you know the concept came along afterwards, and God it was a slow revealing of of you know throughout history of God's personage, which is is sheer ridiculousness because we're built upon the apostles' doctrine, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And if the apostles didn't know it, I don't think we need to know it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Brother Eric, you want to tackle the prayers of Jesus? Yes. Uh, the one that came to mind, and just to kind of speed it along here to not read the whole entire thing, but I know that one that I've encountered some, a lot of times they bring up the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Oh, my Father, if this cup may, pat, may not pass away from me except I drink it, then I will be done. Um, it, you know, they, they use that in the context that it's, Jesus is calling out to his father as a separate person. But if you actually go up uh, to verse number um, 41, before that he says, Watch and pray, lest ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes. And so he pretty much answers the question there, that it's the flesh of that was weak. The flesh didn't want to die. And one human alive would you know, would have wanted to die and to bear the cross. And, and so we, just, we see the flesh of, of God. Uh, being in the sense where he didn't want to have to go through with the pressure that was being put on him. 
But then, you know, also I taught a Bible study on this uh, actually at, um, at one, one of the nursing facilities we go to. And I talked about that. And actually, uh, we see that Jesus lived out everything that he commanded us to do, to repent. Uh, he, he, for one of the first messages he preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we see that he was baptized. I know we're going to get into that later. But uh, then we, Jesus couldn't receive the Holy Ghost because he obviously was the embodiment of the Holy Ghost. But this actual scripture, one of the things that stood out was when he told the disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? And uh, that he didn't necessarily focus as all on praying, but that they were supposed to watch him pray and mm-hmm. to see the agony and the sorrow that he sure. went through. And so this is a uh, evidence of how that God was teaching us what it was going to take in order to get the Holy Ghost. We're going to have to pray out of our flesh and into the Spirit mm-hmm. of God, mm-hmm. now out of our will into God's will. And so uh, more or less as an example of prayer that God sure. said. Obviously, we know that the Lord's Prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, our Father which art in heaven, was is an outline of prayer mm-hmm. teaching us how to pray. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. good. Uh, let's tackle the baptism of Jesus, Brother Rob. Yeah, uh, not to, not to stay there, but anyway, I, be, I believe that it was all that. But at the same time, him being all God, he had to be all man. For sure. I, I mean, yes. obviously, if he was God, I mean, you could easily say, well, uh, God could say, well, I'm, I'm not going to feel any pain. He had to feel the pain. He took in his well, manhood. Sure. He took on all the attributes of mankind, yes. uh, the stress, the the anguish that he was on. He prayed till there were great drops of blood. Right. He knew what was before him. God certainly understood what a crucifixion was going to entail, sure. what this night was going to hold for him. And, and so, and well, so he again, felt hunger. He felt thirst. Mm-hmm. Bible right. says he his, thirst. His flesh, yeah, one hundred percent flesh right. was there, and he was right. crying out. Uh, and and to, to move on to the baptism of Jesus Christ, I agree with you. Pretty much the same thing with the prayer, uh, his his praying to the Father and so on. It was an example for us. Uh, uh, of course, it was found in Matthew chapter three, uh, in verse thirteen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him, but John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us. To fulfill all righteousness, and then he suffered him. I believe Jesus was pointing out to the importance of baptism, sure. the necessity. Uh, him in his flesh, he in order to be saved, he had to be baptized. Uh, I know some don't believe in baptism now. Obviously, you know Jesus uh, uh, said he he did it himself as an example for us. Right. Uh, he commanded his disciples uh, when you begin the church on the day of Pentecost, when I pour out the Holy Ghost. He commanded them, tell them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what it was all about. Uh, John baptized unto repentance. He said that before in, in verse 12. Uh, that he, there was one coming after him who was greater than him, uh, whose shoe latches he wasn't worthy to uh, loosen, and that they should do whatever he tells them to do. Uh, of course, you know, we find that fulfilled again in the book of Acts with the uh, uh, Cornelius, you know, who who was living a repented life, but the uh, uh, I'm sorry, maybe, maybe the other chapter where they're they're baptizing them. They had he, John uh, Paul passing through the upper coast of Ephesus, finding certain disciples. Yes. Sorry about that. But but nonetheless, he found them, and they had been baptized. And he said, "Under what baptism was you baptized?" And they said, 
under John's baptism. And he said, John Verily baptized under the baptism of repentance. And he took them and he rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Right. Another example of the very few that are in the Bible where people were actually literally baptized in Jesus, in, in, in a baptized period, uh, much less they were the reference to the name of Jesus Christ being called over them. So I believe that, yes, Jesus had to be baptized because it was his fulfillment of his very own will uh, that if I do this, you should do what I do. And Jesus did it, and so it would behoove of every one of us to be baptized and to do it in the name of Jesus Christ according to Scripture. So let me let, let me ask you, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, following up there, he did come to John and was baptized. So explain this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened up unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and lightning upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Trinitarians want, uh, Trinitarians want to say there's three there. What saith thee? I would say that yeah, that... That's a good point. I would say that that is the fulfillment of Scripture uh, and John's preaching that there would be one who would baptize you with the Holy Ghost. How could Jesus tell us we need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost if he didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost baptized? And I also noticed it too here. I was teaching this to a Trinitarian boy at the college and uh, he talked about er, earlier in a debate about one God, he was talking about how it was an absurd idea that God would take on three and he called it different masks three different ways that okay. he would have the, the father he would reveal himself in three different ways and so i said so you you believe that and then he, later on he went to this as, as a reference of three separate people you know the the, the the holy ghost the spirit of god the voice speaking out and then obviously jesus in the water mm-hmm. and so i said so you think it's an absurd idea that someone can take on another mask or take on another voice yes well how come the holy ghost took on the form of a dove yeah and so and he didn't really have any any thing to say about that is he looked at it and he's like I said so you actually mean that the Holy Ghost can do it but Jesus can't God the Father can't but the Holy Ghost can mm-hmm. take on two representations yeah. and he said well that's that's a good point and so you know that, that's one of those things when most Trinitarians do believe that God can represent himself and, you know they kind of form that there is some that will say that it's an absurd idea that, that you can have one person that identifies himself as well yeah and i I think sometimes we get trapped in a box saying you know the man of god's many attributes and many roles that he plays that he can only do one role at one time Mm -hmm. i think in matthew chapter 3 and verse 16 we're seeing a simultaneous uh, manifestation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one divine person here, and that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. There's Son only of man, one. which is in heaven. And then there's a Eternal. voice, and then there's a dove. Mm-hmm. There's no, they're not three separate people here. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. But when you stop and think about something you just said, it doesn't mean that he can't operate in multiple roles at the same time. The Bible says, by him all things are created, by him all things consist. The word consist means hold together. While Jesus is walking on the earth, God still holding the earth. That's yes, right. So he's, he's yeah, he's yeah. got everything in control. Right. He does. Um, yeah. Also, uh, let me just use this illustration too, uh, talking about uh, multiple roles. I used this illustration one time because somebody tried to back me into a corner, and I said, "Well, I believe I have the Holy Ghost inside of me, right?" And he believed he had the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. I said, "You believe you got the Holy Ghost inside of you?" He said, yeah. I said, well, there's millions of people that claim the Holy Ghost, but does that mean there's millions of gods? Right. Mm-hmm. There's only one God. There's only one God. Uh, so if God can indwell can a believer roll? and indwell millions of believers, why can't he operate in multiple roles at the same time? But then uh, one other thing to kind of point out quickly, and I realize we're running a little lengthy here, but uh, let, let me talk about this. In John 1, uh, 
John the Baptist is talking to his disciples. He said, Behold the Lamb of God when he sees Jesus, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I saw the Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And he said, uh, God had spoken to me. And basically, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but he said, God had already told me that was going to happen. That's how I knew who, who he was, mm-hmm. is through that dove descending. So the dove came for John's sake. Mm-hmm. And then you have the voice from heaven. In another section in John, I don't have the reference in front of me, but God spake uh, from heaven because Jesus says, glorify thy name. And the Father says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He said, this voice didn't come for my sake. It came for the sake Mm -hmm. of the people. Mm -hmm. So the voice came for the sake of the people in in the baptism of Jesus. And then you have the Spirit descending like a dove that came for the sake of John. but that doesn't mean there's three persons. God can give multiple uh, uh, signs of, of evidence of his presence at the same, same time. It doesn't mean there's three separate yeah, right, persons. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, okay, I want to do one more here, and this is in Revelation chapter 5. And I'm uh, going to go ahead and read this quickly all the way down to verse number 7. And I want to talk about this for just a, a couple of minutes, and then we'll close this out. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 here. And it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, uh, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open uh, the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and root of David hath prevailed to open the book, um, and it says here, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And so what they'll say here is that, well, you've got a clear representation of the Trinity. You've got one sitting on the throne. You've got one coming to take the seals out of his hand uh, to open them. And then it says, it mentions also the seven spirits of God. Well, I would argue, no, you don't have three here. You actually have nine because it says you've got the seven spirits of God. So if you're going to take that literally, you've actually got more than just three. But then uh, let me just paint this. Remember, this is a vision. Uh, and when God speaks in visions, a lot of times it's, it's, uh, it's uh, unfolding mysteries and it's, it's beautiful. And, uh, but it can also be hard to understand. And this is a picture of redemption. You've got uh, God on the throne, and obviously, who was the Redeemer? Jesus Christ, because Jesus died, because he shed his blood. He was the only one worthy to open the seals. So you don't, you don't have, you know, one, two, three. Oh, we got, we got Father, Son, we got Holy Spirit in this vision, therefore, that's a manifestation of the Trinity. No, what you're seeing here is a picture of redemption. How did God redeem the world? Through Jesus Christ. Uh, how did he open the seals? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one worthy to open the seals. So once again, we have multiple roles, not multiple persons. Then you've got the seven spirits of God. But I want, I want you to notice something. Verse 6, read it again. It says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Notice that those spirits of God were attached to the lamb. 
Yes. And that's that's an important point to note. Uh, you say, well, how do you explain that? Well, easy. John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Mm-hmm. Now, what is what is the Comforter? What is the Holy Ghost? It's described in uh, in Romans chapter six and verse number nine, if I remember the reference correctly. It says, "If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ." He is none of his. It's described as the Spirit of Christ. It's also described as the Spirit of the Father. If the Spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So it's called the Spirit of the Father. It's called the Spirit of the Son. I don't have any problem with that. That's one and the same. Uh, but the Spirit of God, you can't say, well, you've got three separate persons here because the Spirit of God's actually attached to the Lamb. And it says, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. Uh, let me at least explain this just in closing that you talk about the seven spirits of God Uh, if you go back to the book of Isaiah and I don't have the reference in front of me but it actually talks and identifies what these seven spirits are I think it's something like the spirit of wisdom the spirit of knowledge the spirit of uh, and I don't have the reference in front of me maybe brother Rob can pull that up for us here Um, if you don't mind looking that up to see if we can find it I don't have the reference in front of me but it talks about the seven spirits of God and it actually identifies them in the book of Isaiah. So, uh, and again, you can't say that the spirit of wisdom is one person, the spirit of knowledge is another person, the spirit of this or that is another person. Uh, what you've actually got is just sev- seven types of ministries of the Holy Ghost, of the Spirit of God. So hopefully we've tackled all of these issues. There are many, many more issues. I've tackled a lot of them in the Apostolic Apologetic series. Um, but uh, is there anything you gentlemen would like to add before we close out? Uh, yeah, if I, there's just so much. When we get to talking like this, I miss, my mind gets to racing of all the scriptures that we could use. But just one thing I, I thought's interesting to point out in Revelation chapter 5, when, uh, when John begins to weep because no, one is, uh, no one's worthy to read the book, in verse 5 he says, uh, one of the elders says, oh, don't, don't weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. In verse 6, he said, I beheld, and lo, what did he see? A lamb. A lamb. Mm-hmm. So yes, sir. Is it a lion or is it a lamb? Still. It's both. It's just both. It's just both. Obviously, you have to take into consideration the Bible, as he mentioned, with uh, it's found in dreams and prophecies. Uh, it's usually in typologies. Yes. And sometimes hard to understand. Even the possible, you know, we're, we're we're looking through a glass darkly now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would, we don't even understand all of God, but then we shall know Him because we shall see Him as He is. So yes, I think a, a good illustration of this too is in found in the book of Daniel because the Bible says that when he first saw the angel, he couldn't take the vision. He fell down upon his face, and then the angel reappeared to him in the form of a man. So God can appear in any form you want him to, uh, you know, whatever forms needed. He appeared in temporary manifestations in many different forms in the Old Testament. Sure. So I don't have any problem with this vision. Gardener to Mary after he rose, after he, um, yeah. rose from the garden. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just go on and on. Yeah. Awesome. Correct. All right. Hopefully we've uh, tackled all the issues you hoped we'd tackle. Uh, I'm sure there's many more out there. we got the pluralistic language. I've covered all of that in the Apostolic Apologetics. I've covered many, many other things in there. So see that series if you've still got questions. Thank you for listening.